0: It's Wednesday, October 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hell, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Wednesday. Thank you. And an early congratulations to the dozens of listeners in the greater Cleveland metropolitan area. Game one in the bag.
1: You have dozens of listeners just in the greater Cleveland area. No, not really. I thought, I thought we, we probably thought it was dozens total,
0: dozens on the planet. But in Cleveland, we've got like one or two. So for them, congratulations. It
1: feels like the world's attention is focused on Ohio. You know, this being an election year. Yes, late October. Yes. So, there, several of the listeners may have located to Ohio by now.
0: One of our colleagues is going to relocate to Cleveland if they win the World Series.
1: Even if they're just in it in game six, I think he's going to swing by to his hometown. So,
0: So, we'll put out an alert for Greg Haygood sightings in Cleveland next week, if we get to that point. We're not going to talk about Apple today. We're going to hit that on Motley Fool Money this weekend. And Industry Focus is going to talk about Apple's latest quarter on Friday, so definitely check that out. We are, however, going to hit some other earnings. And the dozens, not disappointing with their swift hot take reactions to our discussion yesterday about underrated and overrated candy, so we'll, we'll get to that as well. Let's start with two restaurants, Panera Bread and Chipotle, both reporting third quarter earnings. Panera's profits and revenue came in higher than expected. They raised profit guidance. Meanwhile, Chipotle shares are hitting a three-year low today because their same-store sales in the third quarter Key metric, very key metric. Uh, same store sales fell twenty two percent in the quarter. Oof. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> start wherever you want with either of these companies, but of course, at some point we, we will get to Chipotle. But let's—I mean, maybe we start with Panera. That's a good quarter.
1: Let's start with Panera. Are you back there for lunch today?
0: <laughs> yes, I am. I've—I've—I've I've, I've been giving Panera a lot of business in advance of the marathon.
1: Apparently, yeah. Because they had a pretty good quarter yeah uh, same-store sales were up about three percent for the company owned restaurants and uh, a little bit under one percent for the um, franchise uh, owned stores and so that's in it in its own way sort of good news because Panera has rolled out the 2.0 version uh, of its stores to the company owned sites uh, but not so much on the franchise and it's gonna it's a fairly convincing argument right now to get the franchise owners to pay up for the conversion to 2.0 given uh, the disparity in in how these two things are currently going uh, that is franchise stores are are sort of flat 0.2 uh, up for the the quarter and you look at that and compound that a little bit uh, compared to three percent and it gets a lot easier for the franchise owners to pony up what it's going to take. Uh, 2.0, as you know, because you're eating there all the time, is essentially the concept that you order from your desk, from mobile, uh, or from one of the iPads in the stores. You don't have to talk to any human beings, which is great if you're antisocial, as apparently you have become Absolutely. during this period where you're frequenting Panera so often. Uh, and people are loving it because they, they don't like other people, I think. That's <laughs> well, that's my read. What Maybe you'd like to give some other explanation for your no th- obsessive use of Panera recently.
0: Um, it's it's really convenient. We've got one right across the street from our office, so it's it it's almost no time at all from the time that I order at my desk, wait a couple of minutes, and then walk across the street and it's ready. So,
1: yeah. Um, it's working. It's people, working. Are, people are loving it.
0: The uh, yeah the the and this is a smaller concept, a smaller footprint location that we have directly across the street. But even uh, one maybe a mile up the road on Duke Street, they've revamped that. Uh, they haven't completely overhauled it because I remember when Ron Shake first unveiled the Panera 2.0 plan. I remember thinking this really sounds like an incredibly expensive proposition that will involve gutting. A lot of locations, and they haven't done that. Uh, they've they've used technology to rework to to reduce the what he called the mosh pit experience of of picking up your food.
1: Yeah, and I think that the new okay, so it costs whatever it costs. I don't have the figures in front of me on converting an old uh, Panera into the newer model. And but if you're building out a new one like the one across the street from us. It costs less because they're not putting in the the fireplace. They're not putting in as much seating. They're not expecting people to sit there, and they're not inviting people to hang around for hours and hours, as as is the case with many other no big soft
0: comfy chairs,
1: right? And that just it's a way to move people in and out quickly. And additionally, it's set up from the get go to uh, handle delivery and catering, and that's another. Thing that the company is rolling out more and more, and is a big chunk of the growing part of the business. And the other thing that Panera has really done, just an outstanding job on, uh, is is producing food with no signs of E. Coli, and this differentiates it from some of its competitors. Some of its competitors.
0: You know what? You laugh. I mean that that is, food safety is a concern for any restaurant company. So I'm I'm sure especially
1: that, for one restaurant, especially
0: company. for one restaurant, but I'm sure that I'm sure that you know, Panera is not and I'm sure no other restaurant is sort of crowing about like, oh, well, we don't have any food safety problems because all it takes is one. All it takes is one significant incident and and they're in trouble.
1: When you're a national company and, and you're under the scrutiny of uh, you know, national reporting, I so we talked some weeks ago, I had come back from Indiana and I suffered a small bout of food poisoning while I was there and looked up, it was a local restaurant, and looked up on TripAdvisor how they were doing. And somebody else was reporting they had gotten sick the same day uh, and posted that on TripAdvisor. Now, that right there... Small, meaningless little day uh, for two of us, perhaps more. If that had been any Chipotle out outfit in in the country, that would have been, I don't know, not the last nail, but I, I mean, there. This happens, another nail. This happens all the time, right? And most of the time, it doesn't get reported. It's just not a national story. But it will be if there is a next time for Chipotle, and it'll just set it back. How many more quarters? I, I can't even guess.
0: So the company, so Chipotle believes, and they have said uh, with their guidance, they 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 think that they're almost out of the woods. At least with the guidance that they're giving in terms of same store sales, it seems like. And I was saying to you before we started taping when this happened at the end of last year, I remember thinking as a shareholder, okay, so th- this is going to be bad for twelve months. If there was a way to fast-forward to January of 2017 as a shareholder, I'd like to do that, because I think that's when, potentially, the turnaround begins. Certainly, their year-over-year comps are going to get a hell of a lot easier starting soon.
1: Yeah, starting now. uh, They're in the fourth quarter, and that's when the problems arrived last year. But, how out of the woods are they? I think they're projecting low single-digit Comp declines for the quarter. So that's still, uh, you know, that's not good. I mean, they're still going down. My experience in Chipotle is, is for the most part, they continue to be, you know, if if uncontaminated by E. coli currently, they're also uncontaminated by uh, paying customers a lot of the time. I don't know. Do you have a different experience? We're way heavily on anecdotes right now. Yeah,
0: <laughs> um, I've been to Chipotle a couple of times in the in the past year. Aha,
1: both now. Time- before, how many times were you before that?
0: Uh, about the same. Really? Like, the, yeah, because your
1: usage has not declined in the last twelve months. It
0: hasn't because it's not it's not all that close to where I. It's it's not convenient. If there was a Chipotle right across the street, like we have a Panera, we used to petition for that. We did. Um, Did
1: the Grand Council ever listen?
0: Um, you know what? If, if Monty Moran and Stephen Ells are listening to this, they We're might one. S- we'll
1: wa- still take one. We'll still take we'll one. Still take
0: here one. in the Carlisle development. Yeah. Absolutely. They could do a lot worse. There's fact, a
1: lot of empty uh, office space, uh, ground floor, retail level not far from us. Still.
0: Let's move on to Southwest Airlines. Third quarter profit came in higher than expected, which is good. Because it was also 33 percent lower than a year ago. Airlines in general have had a pretty good run over the last 18 months or so is is this coming to the
1: end or
0: what do you think when you look at Southwest's latest quarter
1: well i I think that the the quarter itself uh, not too bad, um, Guidance is a little weak going forward, and that always trumps uh, the quarter that you've that you've just had. Uh, they did have revenue down 3.4 uh, uh, percent year over year, I think, um, and and the stock is reacting a lot more 11 percent down. Uh, I I don't know if if it's um, you know a factor of oil prices. Being back up a little bit, and uh, and the effect on on margins there, uh, that's going to have uh, part of the part of the story for it. But you know, over the long term, of course, Southwest has been uh, somebody that has bucked the, the I don't know the usual investor pattern of just you don't want to be invested in airlines. They've been a a, a much better long term story than that uh, over the last 20 years, and have not. Gone bankrupt uh, as at all, you know, as opposed to just about everybody else. Uh, everybody else has operated with a lot more debt and um, have have had bigger swings to the upside when times are good and far bigger swings to the downside.
0: We're not going to talk about Apple, as I mentioned. We are, however, going to talk about uh, another ubiquitous household name company, and that's Edward Life Sciences, the medical device maker. Uh, shares down 14%. Uh, and I love this line too in in part to lower than expected international sales of heart valve devices, uh, which I think if you're a shareholder in Edward Life Sciences, this is a twenty billion dollar company by the way. so n- not a household name, but certainly a big company getting a little smaller today. but it, it, I couldn't help but think when I read that line that oh if you're if you're a shareholder in, at this company in in at least some small way you're rooting for heart problems.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose that's kind of true with all healthcare companies in, in one form or another. This has been a phenomenal uh, story over the last three years, and I don't think this is the end of the story, because uh, quarterly revenue was up 20%, and that was led by the transcatheter, transcatheter uh, aortic uh, valves, and which were up 39%, and have really fueled this phenomenal growth over the last three years. The growth continues. Uh, this was, for the first time in a little while, not a beat-and-raise quarter. So, they're not raising guidance. And the market has gotten used to the company uh, you know, over-delivering consistently. And this time, it delivered a very good quarter. Uh, but is not raising guidance and so it was it was getting quite quite pricey there. Uh, it's still on a valuation basis uh, I think trading about 40 times earnings and Yikes. and that's after the decline uh, in price by more than you know 13, 14% today. So it's this is really just taking a little bit of helium out of the stock price. It was a, gr- a great quarter.
0: Is this one of those companies that, and and you see this sometimes in the healthcare space, where they are maybe not even only the market leader in terms of what they're doing for medical devices, but they're far and away the only one doing it?
1: Uh, No, not the only one doing it, although I don't want to get too in the weeds on the specific kind of aortic valve that they're doing, but what they uh, have, for the moment, the market leader. And, you know, you gain that space sometimes for a long time, sometimes just for a little while. You've, you've got your patent protection, but everybody else is working on uh, competing devices. And when they have a breakthrough or finally get something approved, uh, then you know, they they leapfrog whoever had been in front. It takes a little while to educate the practitioners on the utility of your particular uh, product. And, uh, you know, one of the things that happened this quarter was that there was approval for uh, intermediate risks uh, to get this procedure. And pre- uh, previously, this was only uh, approved for higher risk patients. So, the utility and, and the risk have now uh, you know, been given the go-ahead to treat more people, and that was one of the reasons why expectations were particularly high for this quarter. This is the first quarter where it was going to get to see that market. Uh, but I think there's, there's still going to be a little bit of education on intermediate risk patients as to whether this is a device that they actually want to uh, try.
0: It's a good reminder that um, you, you mentioned uh, at the top with this story that you know this is the first time in a while they haven't beat and raised, You know, beat on profit and raised guidance. And it's a nice reminder, I think, for investors that no matter what company you own shares of, if it has a string of those types of quarters, it's great if you're a shareholder in a company that puts up four, five, six quarters in a row where they're beating on profit and they're raising guidance. But whatever that business is, just know that <laughs> when they have a quarter like this, that Wall Street will sell off a stock. There will be some short-term pain for any stock that sees its winning streak come to an end. Even if it's like, oh, it
1: was a good quarter. Ah, they didn't raise guidance. Though.
0: Oh, sell this, sell this loser <laughs> off.
1: Yeah, it's definitely the case that uh, investors get a little bit uh, greedy or overconfident, and that uh, you know the overconfidence is is fed by experience in something like like this. But it you know all good things must come to an end uh, regarding those kinds of streaks. Not and that doesn't mean that the the underlying business is um, getting weak. It's just hey, you know it is possible to get uh, too optimistic, and so. You know, stock's taking a little bit of a breather. It still had a good year. Yesterday, Ron Gross and I talked about
0: Halloween candy and shared, and and Dan Boyd also shared uh, underrated and overrated. Listeners love our just love our listeners. Uh, Listeners reacting quickly uh, from uh, on Twitter. Swedish car eight fifty. I agree that Skittles are rubbish, which by the way is getting a big thumbs up from Dan Boyd behind the glass. Anything that leaves that syrupy sweetness in your mouth is out. Fifth Avenue bars or underrated. That's a, that's a throwback candy, the Fifth Avenue bar. A good one, too. Uh, from Kurt Elia, I agree that Milky Way and Skittles are overrated, but how could you leave Zagnut out of the list of vintage favorites? I don't even remember the last time I saw a Zagnut, much less bought one and ate it. And from Michelle, who writes, I discovered something at Costco this year that might be the Halloween candy version of an index fund. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> Once I read, Halloween candy version of an index fund, you've captivated me. My local Costco sells two types of Kirkland-branded candy mixes, chocolate and non-chocolate. And I've never seen a candy mix this diverse. Also, no Whoppers. Uh, I think Ron Gross took a shot at Whoppers yesterday. I, I I think I'm an outlier. I, I, I don't mind Whoppers. I, I kind of I, like I them. from have t-
1: a strong feeling about Whoppers.
0: Uh, she goes on to write, there's something like 10 different types of candy per bag taken together. It feels like I got this stash by trick-or-treating. And she adds parenthetically, no, I'm not eating $30 worth of candy by myself, but only because mine is not the only sweet tooth in the house. However, this being Costco, $30 does buy a lot of candy. I'm going to look for the Take Five bar because I love chocolate and pretzels, and I don't think I've ever seen them before. Love the show as always. Um, yeah, we, we we talked about this uh, this morning when I was uh, down on the first floor. With, uh, the, part of the reason take five bars are underrated; they're just not around. They, they, they're not ubiquitous like Milky Way and Skittles and that sort of thing.
1: No. When's the last time you had one? Uh, I don't remember. It's been a while. Yeah,
0: and and particularly the minis because you like you know you you, you buy the. Uh,
1: can we can we just revisit? And I'm sure somebody's complained about this like worst named you know thing of all time is fun size.
0: That's Tim Hansen. Tim Hansen went on a rant about this I, when I, maybe last Halloween or the one before. He he is he is right there with you. That fun size is an insane moniker for candy that is smaller. Yeah. So do you do you want to share your underrated, overrated?
1: So, uh, a couple thoughts come, come to mind for overrated. I, good and Plenty, I think, pretty overrated.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're not, you know, it's, uh, do they sell Good and Plenty outside of a movie theater?
1: I don't know. I, I don't I, know why anybody would choose to buy them in, in or outside of a movie theater, but I'm not a big licorice fan. Okay. I mean, you kind of need to be for to have Good and Plenty. Right. Uh, I think Reese's Pieces are, are overrated. Overrated? Completely overrated. Wow! Really? Tell me something you know about Reese's Pieces. One
0: of the all-time great and successful movie. That's the
1: only thing that anybody (laughs) knows about them.
0: Marketing pitches,
1: and that they're not, you know, one fiftieth as good as M and M's. Those are the only two things you need to know.
0: That so hold on. So for the for those, they're not
1: even as good as Hershey's.
0: Hershey's—that's the
1: Hershey's ripoff
0: of uh, M&Ms. Well, I'm—I'm glad you used the appropriate term, ripoff. All right, so—so for those who are unfamiliar, uh, in the movie ET, Reese's pieces uh, make an appearance, and that was—that is held up as one of the all-time great in movie uh, marketing spends. Whatever the company paid to get Steven Spielberg to include Reese's pieces in the movie. that worked out really well for them. To, I'm not
1: entirely sure they paid anything back then. I think uh, M and M's just refused to allow themselves to be used. Oh well, that was a blunder on their part, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so well, you y- get you- this freakish little green thing eating your candy. <laughs> I mean, who's who's to know that that's not going to be uh, something you want to avoid?
0: Well, it's like Pillsbury passing up uh, the Ghostbusters. Uh, Ghostbusters. Ivan Reitman went and said, "We want this to be the Pillsbury Doughboy." Uh, at the end of the movie, and they were like, We don't want that. Yeah. And so they had to create the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, who bears a striking resemblance to the Pillsbury Dillboy. But you made the point about Good and Plenty that you, why would you eat that candy unless you were all in on licorice, right? You have to be a licorice fan. If you're not, there's no reason to eat it. Y- you talk about Reese's Pieces as though it is a, an affront to peanut butter lovers anyway. I, I think Dan, boy, I'm just basically, Dan, jump in here, please. Uh, do you want to uh, weigh in on Reese's Pieces? You know, uh- Barker, before the show, we're talking about candy, and you're saying you're saying good things, you're saying smart things, and I was with you the whole time up until you started deriding the best candy, bite sized candy, small piece candy possible in Reese's pieces.
1: No, this is this is scientifically proven that uh, you know, whereas uh, Reese's the candy, I mean, it's hard to top that. I don't know how you you know, your your. Uh, the Peanut Butter Cup? Yeah, the Peanut Butter Cup. I mean, that's that's right there, uh, number 1 or 2 on all right-thinking people's list of, <laughs> of candy. And the Reese's Pieces is such an underperformance to the brand. No.
0: I, I disagree completely. Yeah. I, th- I think the Reese's uh, Pieces is are probably the best thing that comes out of the Reese's candy uh, uh, dynasty.
1: Look, my opinion was qualified in that it only represents right-thinking people. <laughs>
0: I'm 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 standing squarely with Dan Boyd on this one, um, yeah.
1: Underrated? Are we getting getting to underrated now? Sure. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Just learn this today. Do you remember the Marathon Bar? Vaguely solid, solid candy out of production um, now. But uh, Cadbury, and so you got to go abroad to get this. I guess has has the rights or has the uh, successor to the Marathon Bar called the Curly Whirly. Which I've never actually had. What
0: was the marathon bar? Because I, I might not be thinking it's of the right thing.
1: Caramel and chocolate,
0: I think, and that's it.
1: Yeah, but done really well, and in sort of a, a braided uh, loop. Okay, and then you you're would, saying Cadbury needs and to it bring it took this a back. long time to eat it. took a long time because of the marathon. Sure, and you would take a bite, and then you'd have to chew. It was a chewy caramel.
0: Do you think on Sunday at the Marine Corps Marathon they're going to be handing out these bars?
1: One would hope. One you know, that's the only.
0: <laughs> Boy, if you if you want to see a bunch of runners get sick real fast, just start handing out caramel and chocolate. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be having. Are you going to be?
1: Are, are you going to be able to come in on Monday and, and do a show? Do you think? You what know you, what? What are the
0: odds? I'm not going to promise that. <laughs> I, I have no idea how I'm going to feel after this race. It's my first time doing a marathon, and I I re, I really I, I'm not going to promise anything about what what kind of condition I'm going to be in on
1: Monday. Is it? it Possible? It's the only thing you'll be talking about on your podcast. No. Let's talk about my marathon. No, 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 no. Or I don't have the energy, Jason. Good talk. <laughs> I'll
0: just hand the ball to yeah. Jason and let him run with it. Um, apropos of nothing, which is frequently what happens uh, when when Bill is in the studio with me. Apropos of nothing. On Twitter yesterday, this is
1: your issue. I'm just agreeing to go along with it.
0: This fun fact was shared. Which has nothing to do with investing. So, if you're, if you're still listening for investing stuff, it's nobody's, t- <laughs>
1: nobody's still listening for investing stuff.
0: Or at all. Uh, Tom Cruise is now older than Wilford Brimley was in the movie Cocoon. Tom Cruise is now 54 years old. Wilford Brimley was 51 when the movie Cocoon came out. Cocoon, classic 80s film. I, I was stunned to learn this, because Wilford Brimley appears to have decades ago reached a point where he stopped aging but but at that point he looked like oh he looks like he's in his 60s possibly even 70 years old
1: i think it's remarkable looking back on it that he was not given an academy award nomination for portraying a 70 some year old guy as as a 51 year old with no makeup with no makeup no prosthetics totally convincing here it is 30 years later and we still believe so much in his ability to convey the nuances of the aging grandparent despite being only 51 which at this point doesn't seem that old to me.
0: Right. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> um, whereas Tom Cruise is 54 and he's uh, in you know hanging off the side of an airplane in Mission Impossible movies. I you know there's no accounting for good genes. I think that's one of my takeaways here.
1: And uh, I guess the question is which of these two actors could do the other guy's uh, job better if they had to switch, you know. So you've got Wilford Brimley hanging off the side of the airplane. Yes. Versus Tom Cruise trying to portray the the aging grandfather.
0: I think I think Cruise could pull that. off Cruise probably (laughs) (laughs) wins. I don't I don't think you want Wilford Brimley attempting to hang off the side of an airplane as it takes off.
1: Could somebody Photoshop that or something? (laughs) Send it in. Yeah, drop us an email. You get a t shirt. You'll hand out a t shirt or something for that. Absolutely. absolutely. Wilford Brimley hanging on the side of an airplane in Mission Impossible. Mission uh, Impossible type daring do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: By the way, that was a really good Mission Impossible movie.
1: It was solid, yeah.
0: Yeah. The fact that that was the opening scene, that's pretty amazing. There's your opening scene. Normally, in an action movie, you save the big stunt for the end. They're like, oh, but opening scene, we're just going to burn it. Bond
1: started this. Like, opening scene might be the the biggest uh, budget uh, stunt of of the movie. That's true. And that's still done on a key. I think, you know, the opening scene to Casino Royale still. Probably my favorite Bond uh, action set piece.
0: Yeah, that looked like it took
1: a long time to film. Yeah, yeah, I think he had to be in good shape for that one. That's one of the reasons why he's backing away from all this stuff, right? It's just, it's hard.
0: Oh yeah, no, I totally get that. In the same way that there are athlete, you know, David Ortiz retires this year and and he has a great season, so all the reporters in Boston are like, "Come on, you're going to come back for one more year," and he just kept saying over and over. No, you don't. You don't understand. I'm I'm 40 years old. It takes a lot of work for me just to get ready for the game. I'm tired. I'm tired. And in Daniel Craig's case, it's like, how much money are you going to pay me? No, that's
1: not enough. I'm tired. I want to do smaller, non-action movies. Of course, it does seem like if Daniel Craig makes that claim, you're seeing the work on the film and you're seeing him. Uh, you know the condition that he needs to be in. And David Ortiz doesn't seem at first blush to be putting in quite as much work in in trying to look like he's up to the physical tasks that he actually has to perform. Put up some big numbers though. Oh yeah. For a forty year old Everybody guy. loves Ortiz. Oh who doesn't love Big Poppy. All
0: right. Thanks for being here. Thank you. You can sign up for declarations. It's the free monthly newsletter from Motley Full Funds. You can just go to fullfunds dot com Sign up for Declarations. Comes once a month. Great content. Not a lot about candy or Wilford Brimley. Although you know what? See if you can work Wilford Brimley into the next issue of Declarations.
1: Like if he could be eating some Reese's pieces while hanging on to the side <laughs> of the airplane. I think that's what we want. That's Photoshop. like a coffee mug and a T-shirt. Uh, we don't have coffee mugs, or for that we have matter, old like used ones. Right. That have been in the you know cupboards of the office. We'll clean it though. You're saying it's vintage.